it is truly great to sing praises to God together, isn't it? And to just acknowledge how great he is. Um, I've just been loving what God's been doing in our church in the last uh, six months, 12 months in terms of mission. Um, I'm continually blown away, blown away by your generosity and uh, just by the way, um, you know, we've been able to encourage people. First of all, Malawi was um, just overwhelming our generosity as a church giving to them uh, so that they could purchase the uh, four-wheel drive. Uh, then last week the McMasters came and spoke at uh, the services and Tuesday night was just a great time uh, for learning more about Poland and their work there. And then next week you'll notice in your uh, bulletin that uh, Charlie Young is coming and she's uh, going to preach and share with us next Sunday morning about the challenges that are uh, being faced in China. Now she's uh, Chinese, she speaks six different languages she has, uh, I think, about as many degrees. I think there's at least four degrees that she has. But one of them, she came to do business here in uh, Melbourne and became a Christian and then did a theology uh, degree in theology as well. And now she finds herself in a really unique situation. She's part of the pastoral team at Crossway Baptist and she's coming next week to share with us about the great need that there is for teaching in China at the moment. So many people are coming to the Lord and so many people have a faith in Jesus but don't know the depths of what the scripture teaches. And so part of her role will be going to China to try and help teach people that have come to know Jesus. So next week's going to be really exciting and I'm looking forward to uh, being challenged. If you've read any, uh, you know, Brother Jung's book, The Heavenly Man, or know anything about what's happening in China, next week will be a really uh, great moment for us to hear about what God's doing in China. This morning, uh, we come and continue on in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and we've been looking at this for a, for a little while now. And today we come to ask ourselves, how are we to love like Jesus loved? If you've been following the news, there's been some stories that have just... Uh, been seen on the TV about um, the kind of way in which people are showing the opposite of what Jesus would want us to do when it comes to loving. Uh, after three years of unemployment, Washington attorney Roy Pearson finally netted himself a good job. And so as a treat for getting a good job, he bought himself a $1,000 suit and uh, he took it to his local dry cleaners for $10 50 alterations to the suit. Uh, the proprietors of the uh, dry cleaning shop, uh, Su and Jin Chung, couldn't immediately find the pants. And when they did, Pearson said that they weren't his pants. And he refused their offer to pay for a new pair of pants because the sign on their store said, satisfaction guaranteed. And he wasn't satisfied. He, so he sued them. He sued them for his pants. And for two years, this man, Pearson, acting as his own attorney, pursued the Chungs through the courts, uh, exhausting all of their savings. And he turned down a $12,000 offer to settle out of court. Uh, you know what he wanted? 
$67 million for the damages that was caused to him. In the Cincinnati Post, just the 16th of July, they wrote, uh, the sad fact of, uh, of this case is that the $67 million claim, while ludicrous, was not implausibly arrived at, uh, considering the accumulation, uh, accumulating compensation and punitive damages in the capital's consumer protection laws. So the law has come to almost a point there where this is kind of an, something that is possible. And Pearson also, they said, it was also due to his generous assessment of his skill as a lawyer. So he was saying, because I'm such a great lawyer, the damages are so huge. And to Pearson, this is what he said, it's, it's the principle of the matter that's important. Never before in recorded history, he says, has a group of defendants, the Chungs, engaged in such misleading and unfair business practices. I think he's talking about putting up a sign like that. Um, once the case came to trial, Judge Judith Barthnoff, noting Pierce's disregard for facts and lack of reasonableness, ruled that he was entitled to no compensation whatsoever. And we'd all go... Great. <laughs> you know, sometimes we see this whole desire to get, you know, uh, reckon, uh, compensated for loss just spiralling out of control in our mad, mad world. Uh, other times we see it just so brutally and hurtfully seen where people get revenge for things that they perceive as being done wrong against them. And just today... Uh, in or yesterday in the BBC talked about honour uh, killings and these two uh, men were um, the, the report said a father who ordered the killing of his daughter after finding out that she had a boyfriend uh, has, has been jailed for life uh, Banner's Mahmud 20 was raped and tortured before being strangled and buried in a suitcase in Birmingham. This is in England. Uh, her Iraq Kurd father, Mahmoud Mahmoud, 52, of Mitcham, South London, will serve 20 years, and her uncle, Ari Mahmoud, 50, who helped arrange the murder and the killer, uh, they, they got 30 years, um, got, got also long terms as well. Her death had been ordered after her affair with a fellow Kurd, Ramit Salih, was discovered. So here we see, uh, again, in this mad world of ours, uh, revenge going out of, spiralling out of control because someone's been offended and felt that their honour has been hurt and out of control, they, they end up killing their own flesh and blood for the sake of uh, honour or, or revenge. So I wonder, as we hear these stories and we think about ourselves, you know, like sometimes when someone wrongs us, we find ourselves uh, going down paths of wanting not just justice but revenge. You know, sometimes in little ways we hope that the people that have hurt us get not just what they deserve but ten times that. Or, or we, we hope that... Um, they really finally are made to pay for the hurt that they've caused us. And it can get out of control in our own lives too. And so Jesus comes and he says, you, you, you know, here in this passage today, we're going to look together and we're going to see that Jesus says, you know, when you want to seek revenge, 
out of uh, the fact that someone has hurt you. You're missing the point. Because to love like I love want you to love is to love even those that have hurt you and continue to show kindness to them, even though they've hurt you. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount together. And uh, Jesus has been um, speaking on the Sermon on the Mount and we've been talking together about um, the ways in which Jesus reinterprets the law. Like in, he, he actually fulfills it. He brings out the full meaning of it. So while there were people that were actually at, at that time the scribes and the Pharisees that were distorting the law and saying, hey, this is what the law means, what was happening was instead... Um, Jesus now is coming and saying this is what the law really means. We saw that at the start of this chapter, the whole of chapter 5. What we've got is um, Jesus is talking about murder. He said, you've heard it said, do not murder. And the scribes and Pharisees were saying, oh, as long as you don't commit the act of murder, then, um, sorry, I'll just try and get this off. You don't want these guys looking at you for this sermon, do you? This is not really working that well. Oh, there we go. Great. Um, so, so what Jesus said is, you've heard that you shouldn't murder. And the scribes were, and Pharisees were saying, as long as we don't commit the act, then we're right and we're right before God. Jesus says, no, 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 I'm not after just external actions. I want your heart. If, even if you get angry in your heart, then you're in danger of, of hell, the fires of hell. Then he says, uh, when it comes to adultery, you've heard that it was said, don't even commit the act uh, of adultery. If you don't commit the act of adultery, you're right. And Jesus said, no, no, that's not the heart of the law. It, you know, even lustful thoughts make you in danger of, of the fires of hell. I want your heart to be one that is yielded to me completely and given over. Then remember we talked about divorce and people were saying, well, you know, if there's this thing called pornea, then we've got the right to divorce. And we're right. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. My desire always from the start has been two people living together in a permanent relationship where love continues to go until death do us part. That's what I want. That's my desire. And then last week with oaths, as, as Gail spoke to us, you know, she, she told us, talked to us that Jesus wants us not even to have to say oaths to justify ourselves to say that, but to live lives that are true, where there is no lying, where there's no distortion of the truth. And Jesus comes today and he's going to do the fifth and the sixth now little uh, challenges to us on how to live Lives that are counterculture. Now, today, as we gather and as we listen, why are we so interested about these words? Well, because Jesus stood on a hillside and he spoke them to his followers who were gathered around his feet and to those far off. And we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and his words are life. And if we would just learn them and live them and, and respond to the one who gave them in a personal relationship, then we can live our lives the way that he has called us to and planned us to. And then we will be those that are not angry, that are not lustful, that are not you know, causing uh, breakups and, and not those that are seeking revenge, but we're those that are continuing to live the way that he's called us to. And we'll be countercultural. And we'll be salt and we'll be light and we'll shine in this world. That's why 2,000 years later, we hang on every word that Jesus said. And we long 
to obey and follow him because of his love for us. So here in this passage, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Here, Jesus is teaching us that we're to love others, if we want to love like Jesus, by not taking revenge. He's teaching us here to love others by refusing to take revenge. Uh, What was Jesus actually saying here about what the Old Testament had said? He he begins by saying, you've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. And here he's quoting the Old Testament itself. And, And once again, he's confronting the scribes and their misinterpretation of what the Old Testament law said. An eye for eye and tooth for tooth was the actual oldest kind of uh, knowing, oldest law in the, in the world. It's known as the Lex Talinus, and it, it means the law of tit for tat. And it, it's part of the uh, civil law of Israel and is quoted three times in the Old Testament. Let me just show you two of the times that it comes out. This is Exodus 21 and 23 to 25. But if there is seriously injury, injury you are to take Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. And that's Exodus 21. And in Leviticus 24, it says, If anyone injures his neighbour, whatever he has done must be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. He has injured the other so that he is, so he is to be injured. Now, What was happening in these times was even though this was said uh, at at this time, uh, what they were saying, uh, how how should that be applied to the people that were there was different to how it was being applied. In fact, the original law was supposed to be for these purposes. And here's four of the purposes that William Barclay in his commentary brings out, and I'll just share with you what they were. This tit-for-tat, this eye-for-eye, was intended to be a law of mercy, not a law of revenge. So what what was supposed to be happening was it was supposed to make sure that the punishment that people gave out would not exceed the crime, like in the honour killings that we talked about, or like the guy wanting to get $67 for a pair of pants. If he obeyed the law of uh, tit for tat, he would have just got another pair of pants back, you know, or even just the ones that were lost, you know. And the same uh, with the honour killings, you know, that's far exceeding the crime. I I can still remember a report that I heard on the radio many years ago. I was, uh, I I remember where I was right at the time where I heard on the radio about what had happened in Collingwood. A man had gone to park his car and someone else had taken 
his car park. What happened was uh, a fight erupted and a fight was ended with the death of the man who'd stolen the car park. Over a car park, a man lost his life. And I remember thinking, what a silly waste of life. Like imagine if they went for the law of uh, tit for tat, knife for eye, tooth for tooth. What would have happened is next time he was going for a car park, he would have just let someone else take it instead of stealing it. You know, it just would have been a much simpler thing. It was, this is to stop, uh, you know, the escalation of, of, of violence. I hit you on the nose, therefore I'll cut off your hand and you cut off my hand, well, I'll kill your brothers and your family and before long we've got a whole civil war coming out. Secondly, this law, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, was created for judges, not for private individuals. So it wasn't like, wow, now I can take it into my own hands and whack you back because you've whacked me one. No, this was directed at the law who would then say, no, because of this, this is your punishment and you'll need to be compensated. And usually it would be a compensation rather than a whack back um, as well that would happen. Thirdly, it was almost never taken literally except in the case of capital punishment. Uh, often that was carried out. But, but penalties were genuinely, uh, generally um, given fines instead of it actually being literally carried out. And fourthly, this is not the whole picture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. When, when the Old Testament was concerned, individuals, they were also encouraged to, to, to not um, seek revenge or bear grudges in the Old Testament. They were taught to love your neighbour as yourself, Leviticus 19, verse 18. And indeed, they they were specifically taught, uh, let them offer the other cheek to one who strikes them in Lamentations as well. So eye for eye, tooth for tooth was taught in the Old Testament, but it was never for retaliation and for revenge. It was more for justice and for those reasons. So what did Jesus teach in verses 39 to 42? What was he uh, teaching at this time? Well, what, what he taught, there we go, great, um, was this, that this was designed not to escalate um, and, it, and it was not for people personally to carry out this vengeance and malice and, and hatred. And the interpreter's... Um, you know, had turned a restraining law into one that they were using now to get vengeance, to get justice, and they were using it the complete wrong way. So Jesus says here, he says, do not resist an evil person. That's what I tell you. Instead of eye for eye, tooth for tooth being used, you know, to get back, don't resist an evil person. In other words, don't resist someone who's trying to injure you or hurt you. Uh, He forbids you and I to take revenge out. He forbids us to to act in a spirit of unforgiveness, a spirit of vengefulness. Um, We as God's followers and we as God's people are not to be those who stand and demand our rights. It's unlikely that as a Christian, you know, we should even talk about what our rights are and make demands. Verse 39 says, But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Hear what happened 
we're talking about the loss of pride, not so much physical violence, because a strike on the back of the with the back of your hand on the right cheek was the sign of the highest insult that you could give to another person. Today, uh, it's true that even in Israel and Palestine, if you slap someone on their right cheek, it's it's an incredible insult. And uh, Jesus is saying here, if someone slaps you on the on the insulting you, hurting your pride, Jesus says, you know, rather than respond vengefully, offer them the other cheek and say, you know, to them, uh, it's okay. I'm willing to even be insulted more. Jesus says, if someone hurts your pride, turn them the other one rather than revengefully responding. There's a story about a Billy Bray who was a 19th century Cornish miner and he was as rough as nails. Like he was a tough, tough guy. And and what he'd do is he'd just hurt people. In the mines he'd pick on people, he'd smash them and intimidate them and he had heaps and heaps of enemies. But then he became a Christian and his whole life was dramatically transformed. And then people were able to see all the changes that had happened in his life and the different way that he was operating now. And some people took the opportunity to try and get back at him. One guy came right up to him one day and smashed him right in the face, full on like that, knowing that he'd changed. And uh, what happened is while everyone watched and fearing that he's just going to, you know, smash the guy back and, and kill him, Billy Bray said, I forgive you and I don't hold it against you. And then he said, and I know that Jesus forgives you too. And it said that it was only a couple of days after that incident where after a whole lot of soul searching, the guy who smashed him in the face gave his life to Jesus. He was turned around because of the response that came back instead of what was expected. Do you know that if you... Turn the other cheek when people insult you, when people say horrible things about you, and when you love them back, it's a clear sign that Jesus is at work in your life, that he's uh, really empowering you to live in a way different to what you might have otherwise lived. What an incredible change. Secondly here, Jesus says, and if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic Let him have your coat as well. Now, here we're talking about loss of possessions. You know, first, loss of pride and insult. Here, loss of possessions. And what we've got here is is someone who was taking someone to court, trying to sue them for their possessions. And in that time, a tunic was an undergarment. It would keep you warm. It was like underclothes that you'd wear. Um, but, But a cloak went over the top and it was, it was a real necessity. No one ever took your cloak because you'd just freeze to death. Even the poorest people had one cloak that they would wear and you wouldn't be able to take it from them because of the, of the coldness that they'd endure. It was wrong to do that. And Jesus is saying here, if someone comes and takes your tunic from you and extracts that from you, then give them the cloak as well. In other words, don't be vengeful when someone comes to take your possessions, don't retaliate in anger. Actually, you know, show that you're not even vengeful by giving them more. That's staggering. 
It's a challenge, isn't it? The third thing Jesus says here that if it addresses kind of the loss of time or you know, personal kind of rights. If someone forces you, in verse 41 he says, to go a mile with him, go two. Go two miles. It was a time when Jesus was speaking where the Romans, Roman soldiers could easily force people to work. And if you're going along one day doing your chores and a Roman soldier came and said, you, grab my bags and grab my things and take them, carry them. We're going this direction now and come along. And you'd have to do that, what you were said. And um, that's what would happen. There's a time this kind of happened to me in a funny, different way. I just only started driving, um, not, uh, got my, off my L's and I was on to my P's. And I was travelling to work one morning and I got to a busy intersection and out of nowhere this guy just came walking on the side of the road, jumped off into my lane, opened the car, sat down in and sat down in my car. I said, what's happening? What's going on? He said, oh, I want to go to Mitcham Station. I was in Baronia. He said, are you going straight up? And I, I, I kind of said, hey, you know, mate, I've read uh, Matthew 5 and uh, I'd, I'm happy to go the extra... No. I didn't at all. I said, I quickly looked, I said, he's much bigger than me and I just better comply. So I said, yeah, I'm going that direction. And I drove along and just kind of made small talk along the way, but I was really uh, nervous all the time. And then when we got, I'm saying, Lord, please help him get out at the station. And he did and he got out, you know. Um, but it would be like if that happened on your day, to actually say, yeah, where do you work? Would you like me to take you all the way to work, you know? Um, or uh, if you're at a shopping centre and someone says, uh, excuse me, could you help me? I've locked my keys in the car. Or, um, excuse me, I'm sorry, can you help me just for a moment while I, you know, or I want you to come and help me in this. And you and I can know how frustrating that can be, can't it? Especially when you're in a hurry, and you don't want that to happen. And Jesus is saying, you know, if that happens, go and help them take the car keys out of the car and call the RACV if you need to and, and, and go, go the extra mile. Don't, don't feel like it's a resentful thing. Don't, don't get upset about it. This is what happened when um, Simon of Cyrene uh, was forced by the soldiers to pick up the cross. The, the kind of uh, word there, you know, if someone forces you, well, they, this is the same word they used to describe what they did to Simon. They forced him to carry the cross, and yet he carried it in that, in that time. I wonder what you do when your agenda is even taken sometimes by people who, you know, uh, are almost forcing you to change your day's plans. Fourthly, in verse 30, 42, Jesus says, uh, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who borrows from you. And here we're talking about loss of money. And, and, and Jesus is saying when someone comes to you and they're interested in, uh, when they have a des desperate need and they're saying, you know, give me money, can you help me? And he's saying, don't be slow. Don't be slow to give. Don't, don't sort of say, it's my right to keep this money. It's my right not to give it to you. Be generous, he's saying, and say, look, although you might not be asking in the right way and you're, you're almost imposing this on me, I'm, I'm happy to give if it's a genuine need, if it's a need. You know, give to the one who asks you. 
Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow you. And be someone who allows and willingly shares. I think um, what Jesus is saying here is challenging for us, isn't it? I don't think actually he's saying just give to everyone regardless of uh, their motives. You know, like I've heard about a, a guy who was at, on a college campus and, and people who were drunks would come and find vulnerable students and ask them for money and they would just keep giving and they ended up, there's one guy that ended up giving all his money to a drunk because he couldn't, you know, didn't want to say no because he wanted to keep helping him. But in the end, the guy just drank all his money away. The guy never got, he was bankrupt and couldn't study at college. Now, I don't think God wants that kind of thing to happen. Um, so we want to give when there's need and we want to give in the ways that will help. So, you know, if someone comes and says, I need money, money. At our church, we just say, you know, look, we can't give you money, but we can give you food. We want to give to the things that are going to help you. Um, we'll help you need. And so we give. So I think it's giving, giving to someone who asks and giving in a way that reflects love, that really wants to help meet their genuine need. Just pausing for a minute and say, so what does this actually mean? Does that mean that police are wrong when Jesus says don't resist an evil person and all these examples that he gives us? Yeah, are they wrong? I don't think so. Actually, the reason why is Jesus is referring to you and I as individuals, as Christians, in our own personal lives. Now, I don't think we can say that just by saying don't resist an evil person means that we can't have governments or, or police force to, to enforce and resist evil people. You know why? Uh, because in Romans 13, it clearly says that God has put authorities in place, governments, to ensure that justice is done. And I think God is the God of justice and he wants to see that. So he puts institutions to help bring about justice. And those are placed there by God. But I think what he's saying is for you and I, don't take these matters into our own hands as individuals. Don't try and seek revenge or, or do that as well. So this is what it would work out for me if I go home today and we find someone in their house stealing from us and I say to them, what are you doing? And they say, man, we're starving. We, we just wanted to get stuff so we can sell it and, and eat. And I say, well, sit down, Mandy, let's, let's try and pull something together and let's feed this guy. And while he's eating, I call the police. <laughs> you know why? Well, justice needs to be done. I, I, but I don't want them to, like, throw him into jail for 25 years, but there is a right response. But I don't need to smash him up to smithereens, but I hand him over to the courts who are ordained by God to come and do that. So I love him, I offer him kindness, I help him, but at the same time I bring him to justice. I think that what, what God wants us to do. And I think that he, he, he wants it. Now, some of you have been abused as children. Some of you have been in terrible situations where people have done horrible things to you. And some of you have had your closest friends turn on you. And some of you have had you know, your dreams shatter because of the actions of someone else. And this passage is incredibly hard. And that's why it's not supposed to be for those who don't know Jesus, who don't 
understand what God, that God exists and he's a God of justice and he will put things right. See, uh, in Romans 12, it says, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And for those who have been hurt and abused and want to strangle people and do that, Jesus is saying, Vengeance is mine. I'm going to deal with that. You can trust that I'm a God of justice. I've got law courts. I've got the police. I've got those things that I'm, I'm wanting to act justly for. But you give it over to me and let me deal with that. The second thing, so love one another by uh, not seeking revenge. Sorry, I'm just about to finish. Right here. The second thing in the next passage, which we're only going to look really briefly at, is not just love uh, those who have, instead of seeking revenge, but actually love your enemies as well. Look what Jesus says. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And not even the tax collectors are not even the tax collectors doing that. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus goes on and says, okay, well, people hurt us. We're not to take revenge. Now he says, actually love your enemies. Actually really love them. I, I want you to do that, he said. And he says again, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. This was never said. This was never said. Part of it was said. This is what it was said. Do not seek revenge. This is Leviticus 19. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. That's what it said. And they changed it to say, see as it says, one of your people. Well, that must mean that we're only to love our people, but we're to hate everyone else. Bit of an extension of the law there. And we're supposed to love your neighbour as yourself. So you're really supposed to really love your neighbour. And yet they'd said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. And, and Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's what I'm saying. And saying, well, why? What reasons would we do that for? Well, because when you start to love your enemies, you become godlike. You become like God's children because you're showing your, the characteristics of God. You're sons of the Father. You're loving your enemies. And, and you know, the way that God shows that he loves his enemies is that he causes the Son to rise every day, whether you're a Christian or not. And it shines on you, whether you're evil or whether you're good. That's God's uh, providential grace. He, he just he, he allows you to live even if you hate him. He allows you to live if you love him. So God's being kind to the good and to the evil by making the sun rise and shine every day. And he says, you be the same. He says, not only, not only that, is God sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He's showing his grace every day in this. So when your enemies hurt you, show grace in the way that God does too. Love them. 
And he says, you know, the other reason is not only will you become like God, God-like when you're doing this and you're showing his characteristics and you're showing that you belong to him, the other reason is if you only love those who love you, you're just being like everyone else. And, you know, you'll see, if you've been watching the, uh, following some of the gangland um, shootings and murders in Melbourne, you know, they're from families where they love one another. You know, they really love, they, they think they're great, yet they kill other people. He's saying even the tax collectors, and if you work for the tax department, you know, tax gatherers were different in those days till they are now. <laughs> we have a challenge out there, anyone? No. Uh, but, you know, uh, these were people that would, would extort money from people and really do everything they can to get whatever they could out of the people. They're not much different. No, no, it's true. But, you know, uh, what he's saying is you're just doing what the tax collectors do or the pagans do. They love their own. So if you only love those who love you, that's not worth bragging about. That's not, worth, that's not evidence that Christ is any different in your life to anyone else? Ah, but if you love your enemies, wow, what a difference that is. And then Jesus finishes with this incredible statement, which kind of been summing up the whole of these six things that we've been looking at. And he says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. There's been lots of debates about this issue. Some people say, yeah, he wouldn't say it if he didn't want us to and think that we actually could be perfect. In fact, the Methodists with the holiness movement um, built this whole around the fact that you can actually become so perfect that you are sinless in this life. I think Jesus is calling us, saying that those who put their trust in me are perfect in my sight. They're forgiven They're set free, and when I look at them, their sin has been completely dealt with. They're declared perfect, justified, righteous. Now what he's saying is live, be perfect, live out what you are in your life. Seek to be people that are perfect. I don't think you'll ever be perfect in your own strength, only through depending on Jesus. But live a life that seeks to be perfect in every way until what you are is perfect made fully known for eternity as you go to be with him. I just want to conclude by asking you just some few things to do as we go today. How can you and I be people who love like Jesus did? Love instead of take revenge and love even our enemies. I want to tell you, these are hard, hard passages today, aren't they? I mean, it's so hard to even think about how we can do that because we find ourselves so often resentful of what other people get that we don't, wanting to get even, wanting to do, find revenge for people that have hurt us. But I want to say, here's some suggestions on how you can go today loving like Jesus. The first thing is make a decision that you want to live for him. It's simple as that. And Joshua called to the people as one of his last acts as a leader of God's people, he said to them, he said, choose you this day whom you will serve. You know, make a decision. He's saying you need to decide whether you're going to follow God or not. You can't waver between. You'll never become someone who loves like Jesus loves by just thinking, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Joshua said, now fear the Lord 
and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your forefathers who worshipped beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether you will serve the gods of your forefathers or, 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 or the Amorites in whose land you are living. And he says, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I think the first way to love like Jesus did is to give your life to him, make a decision to follow him, ask him to become your Lord and Saviour. If you haven't done that, do that. Do that today. Ask him to come into your life as your Lord. The second thing I think you do to, be, to love like Jesus loved in the midst of this crazy world where, where we get hurt, where we get upset, is to make a public stand. Once you've given your life to Jesus and said, I want to follow him, make a public stand. Those who accepted his message were baptised, Acts 2.41. We're going to have a couple of people just in the next service that are going to go into these waters and they're going to go down saying, I've died to my old life and I'm rising again to new life. And they're declaring to everyone who will be here that they belong to Jesus. They made the decision. Now they're taking a public stand and they're saying, this is it. I'm going to live the words that Jesus calls me to. I'm going to now obey him because I know him as my Lord and Saviour. And the third thing that I think that you you should do is allow God to fill your tank daily. Uh, Let me just kind of explain Sometimes we make a decision and a public stand and think, I did that back in 1965, you know, or back at the Billy Graham crusade. And since then, I haven't been able to love people, you know. But I made the decision. I took the public stand. But I think what happens is people almost in their spiritual tanks do things that drain the tank all the time without putting good things into your life. Like people watch TV all the time, soapies and all things where everything that's happening in there is completely against the words of Jesus and say, why aren't I more loving? Well, let me tell you, if you're just watching people killing each other, you know, abusing each other, sleeping with each other, do you think that's going to help you be more loving? Do things that will fill your tank. Because this is what it says in Luke 6.45, the good man brings good things out of the good things stored up in his heart. How can you fill your tank? I think start every day saying, God, would you help me to know your love today and to love other people like Jesus loved? Would you help me do that today? Start by praying that prayer, saying, God, help me today. I think reading his word every day, putting that into your mind to say, God, help me live this every day is filling your tank. You know, I just need to have my tank filled in so many different ways. This Friday morning, you know, I just went up like Annie did, you know, when she said, your love, O Lord, is like the oceans. I just went to the top of the hill here, uh, you know, uh, over behind this, what is it, Barton Road, you know, on the top of the Camborne Park Hill. And I just walked there with the dog and we spent a couple of hours, me and the dog, sitting, looking over Wodonga, just with quietness, And, you know, I had some verses just memorising and saying, God, the world is good. You're good. And I just want to praise you and thank you. 
and it filled my tank. You know, putting on a great uh, worship CD and just playing it. You know, your love, O Lord, is like the ocean, you know, deeper than the deepest sea. Just to sing that to God or to have it at full bore on your CD player, you know. Uh, Just whatever helps you to fill up your tank so that out of your life flows good. Because, you know, the times I'm most likely to take revenge is when my tank's empty. When I've been working so hard for the Lord that he owes me about 27 things and I'll let him know it, you know. And then when somebody else says, can you do this? And they're nasty about it, I think, (gasps) and you think, no, I haven't been guarding my heart. I haven't been checking it. Some of you just need a holiday. You know, everybody else knows you need one. It's just you that hasn't been (laughs) responding. (laughs) Some of you too just need some sleep. I mean, you need to get some sleep. You think, what? no wonder I'm so unloving. I haven't slept properly. I haven't taken enough time to sleep. I think give your heart to Jesus. Make a public stand. And every day ask him to help fill you up. In great ways, being part of a small group. You know, allowing friendships to share together reading God's word. Finally, what does it look like to really love like Jesus? Uh, you know, I think we've been challenged today, I, I know I have, to, to love when revenge happens and, and to uh, love even my enemies. But I want you to think about Jesus who said these words on the hill. He stood in the garden in Gethsemane later on and he received a kiss from Judas, one who had uh, been part of his disciples, who had shared so much of his life with, and he must have felt hurt. He must have felt like whopping him one. He must have been angry. But his reply was simply, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? His disciples, they wanted to respond, and one grabbed the knife and chopped off his ear, grabbed the sword and chopped it off right there. And Jesus said, put your swords away. For all who draw the sword die by the sword. And he touched the man's ear and he healed it right there. While Jesus was being questioned by the high priest, you know, an official struck Jesus and he said, is this the way you answer the high priest? He only knew that he'd just struck the son of God the one who made the heavens and the earth, who one day he would give account to. And yet Jesus' reply was, if I'd said something wrong, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? I mean, he could have just done anything to that man. While nailed to the cross in agony, you know, and in pain, a robber next to him just starts hurling abuse at him. And, 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 and Jesus, in those times, leads another robber on the other side to the Lord. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. While in the midst of so much hurt and anger and abuse, he's loving. And he looks out on them and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This week, as you face difficult situations, maybe at work you're being unfairly treated, maybe you're facing 
unfounded allegations or unfair criticism. Some of you might be being sued or uh, people are trying to take revenge on you. Remember Jesus and his example and love like him. Go out there, church, and love Wodonga, Albury, the whole region, and show them that God is alive and at work in your life for his glory. Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Oh, God, we need your strength every day. Help us to fill up on you daily. And help us to be those that love instead of seek revenge, love instead of hate. And may many people come to know you because of our love for them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wanted to just 